You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. It is December 6th. It is also St. Nicholas Day. So happy St. Nicholas Day to everyone. And uh, it's time to get into our conversation in just a moment here for Mental Health Monday. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. We're continuing our conversation in Finding Hope from Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. Good to be here. It is good to get to continue our conversation. Last week, we talked about body image and realized that we probably could have done about six episodes on that. But we're going to move on to the next (laughs) chapter because no one wants to listen to me ramble on about that. It is. I have. I mentioned last week that I have lots and lots of questions. So let's see if, well. See we, we only have 25 it. minutes. Let's, let's see what we can do. <laughs> so this week, we're we're going to start off with defining emotion. And I know we we talked about this in the last two years. Yeah, mm-hmm. we have. But mm-hmm. it's time to revisit it. So, And plus, it's, it's in Finding Hope, uh, your book, Finding Hope. So let's just dig into it. Let's define emotion. Yeah, I feel like there is very few spaces I can go and not talk about this a little bit. It's just such a part of our struggles, I think, with theology. And emotions are intimately spiritual. Like, they're very connected because this has to do with, like, what emotions are. And there's a hot debate out there on what they are. But they are linked to our character in some ways and in other ways they aren't. And so, yeah, it's very complicated, (laughs) that is to say. And I I, I very, very rarely find the thing that I'm talking about to someone that doesn't include something about emotions. And granted, I'm a therapist and a deaconess and all that stuff, but <laughs> that's just the way it is. <laughs> okay, so what are these? What are these emotions? What makes them so complex? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the definition for emotion was a, a little simpler for me to come up with because. Research-wise, they're they're very similar when you look at the different research definitions, and the cultural definitions are also pretty similar. Now, I think because we agree on the definition doesn't mean that there's always a whole lot of agreement in all of the er- other areas about what to do with them and and their benefits and all of that stuff. But what it does do is that it gives us a little bit of an understanding of what they are. And enough to say that we don't know everything. And I think we're all agreed upon on that. Like within the church, we know that we don't know enough about emotion. And within science, we know we don't know enough about emotion in our culture even. I think we know we don't know enough about it. And I think that is a good place to be. And so we're going to start there. The definition that I wrote is a pound on page 41 of Finding Hope from Brokenness to Restoration from CPH. A conscious or unconscious internal state related to processing our experiences and relationships through external and internal input. (laughs) That's as clear as mud, right? Yeah. (laughs) So a couple of things that stick out are the emotions are internal. Like we experience them inside of these bodies, right? But that doesn't mean they're always conscious. So conscious means like I I know them. I, I have communication with them and we exist together with awareness. Instead, a lot of times they do reside in our unconscious where we are not aware that they are happening within our body or within our mind or whatever different spaces they are inhabiting. And so that leads to emotional layering. And we talk about mm-hmm. that a lot in the chapter. 
you know, when we don't process an emotion, when there's no words for it, or we only experience it maybe as a sensation or a nudge, or even something less than that in our bodies, then it resides there still. And then there's another emotion that comes up that builds off of that one. And it's, yeah, you can start to see then as I go into that, how complicated that is. The other thing that sticks out is that it is related to processing our experiences. And so emotions, as much as we like to believe that they come out of nowhere, like, oh, that was out of left field. <laughs> they, they aren't. They're not out of left field. They are surprising a lot of the time. They are related to the things that we experience in this world, whether relationally or environmentally or spiritually or whatever, but they are related to our experiences as being human beings in a broken world looking for hope. And so th that lens of knowing the hope of Jesus really highly impacts our emotions then, because as we experience things, we have a way to process them. We have a meaningful way to process them because we know that God uh, has grace in mind for us, but that doesn't always get applied, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean I always process my emotions with that lens in mind, but those two things help us if we can put them hand in hand. And then there is input. I would say that's the last really important piece is that emotions are also related to what I take in either within myself. So your brain sends a signal to your finger and your finger does something that you want it to do. Similarly, our emotions are, uh, a whole big mess of networks within us. They're extremely related to our sensory input and system and how we process those things internally, as well as the things that are coming from the outside. You know, I think I've talked on uh, Mental Health Monday before on the coffee hour about my relationship with the two words hangry and slangry, which are kind of like urban pop culture words for when I'm tired and angry at the world. And then when I am hungry and angry at the world, because mm -hmm. those two things greatly impact my emotions. Yes, the, there is more and more things just like that, where the the way that we interact with the world around us um, and the way it interacts with us, especially that we can't control, will impact our emotions. Hi, hangry. Slangry. <laughs> I feel those. Not I right now, too. but I feel them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about where emotions reside. <laughs> because, because sometimes I feel it in like my stomach. Sometimes I feel it in my head. Like sometimes it's a full body experience. Right. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sometimes it, like anxiety is so high you could just you could feel it in like the air. Vibrating. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um what where mm -hmm. are emotions? Where do they reside? Where do they you reside, right? Yeah. Cause, well, because you mentioned sometimes they could be surprised, like they feel like they came out of nowhere, but yet I also know where I'm feeling it too. <laughs> so no, absolutely. There's this little section on this particular question on page 42 in the book, and I'm just going to read a little segment. It says, our emotions are a full body experiences, not limited to our hearts or processes in our brains. And I would say that that's level one of answering that question, Andy, is that so often we have this contextualization where like our emotions like start in our heart and then they radiate out. Or because we're we're Lutheran and sometimes a little bit cerebral, we picture them as starting as thoughts, you know, that we can kind of take control over and capture, if you will, even. And we kind of use Bible verses related to that. But 
They are, oh, there go my dogs again. Goodness, our, my dogs are out of control on Mental Health Mondays. Um, but we experience emotions in our heart, soul, mind, and strength in all of us is what I mean by that. I also would contextualize it as experiencing emotion between us. So, so emotions are an internal process, but they're greatly impacted by the emotions of the people in front of us and all around us. And so the pandemic made this clearer than ever. So if someone is experiencing great anxiety over something and I am in the room with them, you can feel it sometimes. And then you might end up experiencing some some similar, maybe not the same kind of anxiety or a little of your own anxiety about other things comes up within your system. And so emotions reside, I would say, you know, in our, in our full bodies, in our um, subconscious and conscious selves, but then also between ourselves, which makes it, you know, even more complicated. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) We have all of these emotions and we feel them in our bodies and in, in all of the the places you succinctly described, (laughs) but what happens, what happens when we, when we sense danger in these, in these relationships, in these emotions, what happens to the, the, the systems in our bodies when we sense those things? Yeah. So our natural uh, response, and this is, you know, all physical systems that I believe that God put into our bodies in order for us to be able to live in a world that was broken. We talked about that on our first episodes about the impacts of brokenness and and how all of that works. And again, there's always a little bit of mystery here, but we do have something called an amygdala and we have other parts of our brains and our nervous systems that are included in this. You know, we know our heart and our lungs are included in it, if you think about heart rate and also how we breathe in moments of danger or distress. Um, And so really the amygdala is kind of the first responder, if you will, the first on the scene when there's some kind of danger. And danger means certainly something that is physically dangerous to us or a threat to our life, but it also means emotional danger. It also means uh, relational danger. There's Unfortunately, our brains are a little overactive, and that's part of that whole disintegration business, right, that we talked about a couple episodes ago, and they sense danger a lot. And if we have any kind of trauma in our systems from our past experiences, and especially unprocessed trauma that we haven't you know, had some help with, then they will sense danger times a million. (laughs) Trauma and danger go hand in hand, right? And so then they reside together in our systems. Uh, So that amygdala is what we normally think of as that fight, flight, freeze organ, if you will, or piece of our uh, brain structure. And it releases what needs to be released like adrenaline so that we can respond. There is some long-term impact on our system from that. Our, Our heart rate speeds up, our breath speeds up, and then there's some other hormones that respond to help us come down from that. When that has happened too frequently, our bodies get overloaded and oversensitive. And I don't, I should rephrase that because oversensitive sounds like I'm uh, throwing shame onto someone. And that's not what I mean. I mean that they are reacting in ways that we are 
really not in control of. Like this is a very basic physical process that, again, God knit into us in our wombs, you know, as part of our human processes and structures. And there's there's mystery in that. And so, yeah, I think that amygdala gets a little bit of a bad rap. <laughs> we were finding out from research a little bit how it's connected to some other body systems and things. So it doesn't hold the fault, if you will, on its own. But that is what we know from research right now, that our body was made to respond through that particular organ and through some other things. And uh, we maybe need a little bit of help to process even those ways that it responds. Now then later, the way that this impacts emotion more than ever is that not only do we have those emotions in the moment when our amygdala and all of that responds, that we have those emotions come up in other moments. And so our emotions and our emotional state at that time, a lot of times is connected and attached to whatever sensory experience goes on with that. And so, you know, if there's something that even remotely resembles what we experienced in that moment, then we're going to have another emotion come up, some of the emotions we had in that time, or something like anxiety that's kind of a vague, unsettling feeling that we all experience a little bit differently. So did any of that make sense? I want to do a little of a check-in on that. Or do you have a piece of it that you need a little bit more for? Well, I I think we can dig into it more in just a moment. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back from that and we'll dig more (laughs) into we're 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 talking about emotion today in Heidi's book, Finding Hope. And we're talking with Deaconess Heidi Gaben for Mental Health Monday on the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. We're taking a look at Finding Hope from Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, digging into this great book. And this chapter is on emotion. Yes, we can talk about emotions. Yes, we can. Mm-hmm. We can. We can do yes. it. Sure. So, what does it mean to be an emotional being? And by emotional, I don't mean like I'm always crying all over the place. Although it could include that. It could. It could include that. And but, no shame. No shame. Right. Right. Include that, right? <laughs> so, what does it mean to be mm-hmm. an emotional being? It's funny because my gut is to tell you it means that you were created by God. You yeah. know, I know that it sounds a little bit trite, but. The reality is, is that we are emotional beings. I don't need to create that in myself. That's actually something created by God in me. Uh, And that does change our perception of it a little bit, I think. I go into great depth about this in my manuscript that I'm writing now that will be out in September of 2022. But I believe that it's related also to the image of God which uh, is a huge complicated ball that we won't get into on this episode. But it means that when I look at other people, then 
that they are created by God with emotions because they were made by an emotional God. And then that's a whole nother level of mind-blowing theology, I think, (laughs) that God has emotions and it affects how we think and feel about emotions because God experiences emotions in perfection while I experience emotions in, you know, imperfection and great imperfection at times. But that said, emotions themselves, and this is all over Finding Hope, are not sinful. They're not wrong. They are God's creation. And that's really complicated then because, you know, we think of the Garden of Eden as a place without fear before the fall into sin. And I think we also think of it as a place without anger or sadness or some of these emotions that we have maybe a more complicated relationship with or a negative understanding of. But I propose in Finding Hope that God gives us some of these more challenging emotions for us as actual presence, as gifts to be able to process. Remember, emotions are related to our processing of our experiences. So to be able to process the things that happen in a world of brokenness. Can you imagine not being able to cry and having that feeling of all of that locked up inside of you, not being able to have a name for the feeling of sadness and overwhelm or struggle when you look at the terrible things of the world? I I know that we don't want to feel the sadness necessarily, but at the same time, experiencing brokenness without it is not good for our bodies and it's not good for our hearts and our minds or any of it. Yeah, there's so many, oh, I don't know, the the way that, that emotions are so closely linked with the actions that follow those emotions. And I think that's maybe where we get the idea that, that emotions are are maybe mm. bad or, or sinful because of of then what we do with them because we're sinful human beings and and how different that's going to be after the resurrection. It kind of blows my mind. But yeah. that might be a different episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is the place of those of the emotions that we that we think are bad that, mm-hmm. uh, that make us uncomfortable to deal with? Yeah, it really helped me when I became an EMDR therapist because I I sit with people and help them process their emotions. That's one thing I do daily, and it became. Um, became more and more clear to me that we all think different emotions are challenging. And so I used Mm. to think that there was this like category and it was a list. And actually in my new manuscript, whether it makes the cut or not, we don't know, but like there's a (laughs) section where I offer a space for people to put a list of like emotions they consider to be good and emotions they consider to be negative. Uh, And I present some of my own list that I know is completely skewed and (laughs) made up, right? But it's good to be honest about which ones for us feel uncomfortable. And that's the language I would use. It's really not that they're bad or good or positive or negative. That is I really don't like that language. It's all over science. And I just think that God gives us maybe a little bit of a different understanding of our emotions. Instead, that they have their purpose and they are uncomfortable at times, certain ones, and other ones are more comfortable and comforting for us and designed to be comforting. And so when we are a little bit honest about those lists for us, that will be really helpful for us. Those emotions that are uncomfortable for us have their purpose. And I think especially in the Christian church, so I'm going to go with that. Like if the Christian church, little C church, created a list of emotions that were uncomfortable, I would say that they would put fear 
underneath there. Sadness, although that one's getting a little bit of a lift, I feel like we're starting to have uh, language in. <laughs> yeah, right. We're like, we're reframing, if you will, in the Christian church that sadness has a place and that it's okay. And But goodness, wouldn't it have been great if we did that a long time ago? And then anger, I think, especially has a little bit of a bad rap. Although um, there, I think, also can be, right, the idea of righteous anger can also be overused in the church. And so that is very complicated. But being honest about which ones we have some discomfort with. I have met people that are uncomfortable with joy. Joy is, we know from research, one of the most vulnerable emotions. In fact, Brene Brown calls it the most vulnerable emotion, if I remember correct. And so why? Because to allow yourself to feel true joy and I think she is likely talking about that like lowercase j joy, if you will, like the full experience of joy in the human experience. Um, and and you and I know that the God gives us a different kind of joy that is in the fruit of the Spirit from Jesus that is unchanging. But at the same time, that both those things can be incredibly uncomfortable to someone, especially people who have experienced abuse of some kind. In a world that's broken, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're always like, well, I can be joyful here, but it, we have that little voice somewhere in our heads telling us, like, well, be careful. Like, if you get too joyful, just wait. It's coming for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's going to end. And, and we are scared of losing that sense of joy or that feeling of joy that we have for a moment. And, and it will go because it's intended to be momentary during our experiences here on Earth. Um, and I really think that's one reason why God gives us uh, the fruit of the Spirit that is joy in Jesus Christ, because that can't be taken, but we do have a complicated interaction with it, if you will. So I, I think that answered your question a little bit. I would settle back toward, yeah, just understanding which ones are comfortable and uncomfortable for us as individuals. Can we dig into, can we go back to identity? We talked about this yes. a couple of weeks ago. What's the difference or maybe even the relationship between identity and emotions? Mm -hmm. um, because the world says you are what you feel. And mm -hmm. um, sorry, Andrew Lloyd Webber, it was a line in what? The Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, it is. A, a, I've a never musical seen it. about the it's a musical about the Bible, and then he throws that line in there: "You are what you feel." But, wow, I yeah. did not know that. Fascinating. Yeah, huh. mm -mm. yeah the the uh, narrator says that in one of her lines. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and I I talked on other episodes about the way that I bring my research together and how I write books and things like that, and how they kind of build off of each other. And I was finding hope is one place where I got a little clearer on emotions enough to say that emotions are informants, not leaders. And, you know, all kinds of other authors have other ways that they say it, but it's that general idea that they were, and I believe this is like from God's like a good gift of God, like we talked about earlier, that he gives us emotions as something to inform us. But even more intricately, theologically, is that they are connected in wild and weird ways to who he is. Again, we experience that in brokenness and great imperfections. But the informant part is really important, that they have a job to do. And when we listen to them, but don't let them tell us what to do, you know, you take in information, you don't let that information tell you the way it should be or what you should do with it. 
And so we want to do the same thing with emotions. They're not leaders in our life. God is the leader of our life. Jesus is the leader of our life. And the fact that I am a child of God hones all of that together so that I know who I am and I am not my emotional experience. I am not what happens to me. This is especially true if we've had trauma, that I am not the sum of my experiences in this world, good, bad, or terrible, but I am who God says I am. And then my experiences are part of my experiences. They are part of myself and my narrative, but they aren't the core of who I am. And that really frees us up to be able to hold them for the moment because emotions are momentary. They come for a second and they are gone. Sometimes they linger. We call those moods. And we go into all of that in great depth in the text that I'm currently writing, actually, the difference between those things. So, but just know that God says who you are. Emotions are information and they are useful. And we get into trouble when we let them lead us instead of God in this earthly life. So very helpful. Thank you for that <laughs> clarification. There's so much clarification about identity too. Um, yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> great. You that. guys are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It is Mental Health Monday, and we are digging. We've been digging into finding hope with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. We'll continue the conversation next week. Thank you so much, Heidi, for chatting about emotion today. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.